Episode number five with fashion designer Kirby Jean Raymond. Welcome to the Institute of Black Imagination. I'm your host, Dario Calmis, an artist, writer, brand consultant, and generally curious fellow. And each week we bring you a conversation from the pool of black genius to inspire, engage, and help you unleash your own imagination. Today's episode is with Kirby Jean Raymond, founder and creative director of the fashion brand, Pierre Moss. Hailing from East Flatbush, Brooklyn, in an environment where one is taught to be self-resilient and tougher than their counterparts, Kirby took that chutzpah and wove it into the fabric of what is now one of fashion's hottest brands. He personally describes the brand as an art project, or a timely social experiment, which explores the depths of the cultural origins of blackness. Designing as a teenager with fashion titans like Kate Unger and Marquesa, Kirby's theatrical and emotionally moving fashion shows are now consistently hailed as the must-see show of New York Fashion Week. His most recent show, Sister, was hailed at the historic King's Theater in Flatbush, a mere seven blocks away from his family home. Not only a fashion designer, he recently served as director for the musician Wale's short film, Sumi, which interrogates the blatant and subtle racism embedded in media images, and a documentary film chronicling the creation of the aforementioned fashion show Sister will debut fall of 2020. In today's episode, we discuss how Kirby leverages his fame for the freedom of black peoples around the world, how his work in the fashion industry cost him his sanity, his journey to releasing his ego, his tools for success and finally arriving to a place of self-love and acceptance, and we even discuss our own falling out a few years back, along with the subsequent healing process, a topic even we hadn't discussed until this interview. Recorded during lockdown, this is Kirby at his rawest and most vulnerable. What wakes you up and keeps you going every day, like dealing with whatever you have to deal with? The fucked up part is I got a taste of change. I got a taste of me being little old ass me from 34th and Snyder, going to PS 181, living in the household that was making $600 combined a month, jousted out into this world, and motherfuckers listened. And then went back and like fixed shit for people that I grew up with and, and changed things for, for kids that I know because of things that I said and things that I brought to their attention. And after I felt that, I was like, oh shit, I can use my craft. I can like, I can, I can like my story. I can use the shit that I learned over time and like the things that I felt and say it in such a persuasive way and show it in such a creative way and mirror it back to people in such a way that they're going to go want to help my people. Oh, fuck. I may have some power here. And I was like, oh, fuck. Okay, well, if I keep doing these shows and now I can bring people back to Flatbush and I can invigorate all of the fucking communities around me. Okay, shit, shit. What can I do for Haiti? What can I do for Kansas City? Murder capitals. Chicago. Bringing big billion dollar corporations to the south side of Chicago to the point where like my video men were being pressed by like GDs and vice lords and going to Compton and rapping with like Paru's in the middle of the hood and riding horses through through the hood and shit like that. And then bringing it back to people's attention with the money so they can go do this and learning that I can do that and learning that was my power. That was and then I was like, OK, fuck. Now I'm awake. 
Now it's bigger than me. Now it's bigger than me just taking care of my family. Now it's bigger than me just like getting a nice car and getting a nice place to live and getting some nice furniture. Whoa, I can like influence equality? With this, with fashion, the thing that I barely knew how to do in the first place. <laughs> like I could, I could change shit for people. Yeah. By just bringing shit to people's attention. Now it's like, oh fuck. Okay, now I learned about the next level of it. Right? There's this level of like empathy that I can bring back to people that I love and care about, and, and, and communities that I care about, and people that might not fuck with me, but I fuck with you enough. Because because here's the thing, like I could have stayed, like if I stayed, I stayed in the hood and not have any ambition to leave. I probably still would have been doing something, but I got to go out and see what how other people are living, and I'm like, yo, like yo, you know, you know, shit don't gotta be like this. And I can go back to Haiti and be like, yo, you know, shit don't gotta be like this. Like, you don't gotta walk three miles for water. I go to Nigeria, bring Fashion Week to fucking Ghana and Lagos. Yo, we could have everything. We we could do we could do all the things. We could do all the things. And all it's gonna take is for me to sacrifice my art. Right? Like where I might want to draw or, or do or do some sex sales kind of shit or whatever the case is. I'm just gonna put us at the forefront. Make people care about us. And then y'all you know, got people caring about us. Now they see us as viable. We speak in their language. Like shit, we can make some money. The money that they're gonna make off, they're gonna make off of like you is gonna give you some exposure. Now we can do more. Now it's gonna be two of us leaving these flatbush. Now it's gonna be five of us leaving these flatbush. Now it's gonna be ten of us leaving Brooklyn, leaving New York, leaving Haiti, leaving leaving Nigeria, leaving Lagos, leaving Brazil. And now we can make a bigger splash. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's what to answer your question, that's the shit that keeps me up. It's like Oh, fuck, like, there's so much more to do, and all I have to do is keep creating with us in mind. Mm. So now that keeps me creating. So I, so I direct films. Me and you, we do, we do our music. We do everything. We create our fashion. We do everything with the intent of centering black people yeah. so that we're viable and we're no longer opponents. We can be part of the conversation. We can be part of the conversation. We can be at the table making decisions. And all I have to do is sacrifice a little bit of my art. Question. Do you honestly think that you only have to sacrifice a little bit of your art? No, I got to sacrifice all of it. I was just having this conversation with my mother about how being the first and or the the one at the forefront is a sacrifice. Like it is, it's a bigger sacrifice than, than just showing up. There's a price to be paid. Huge. Like there's a price to be paid and it's more than just a little bit of your art. Like what did you not realize you would have to sacrifice in this journey? To be honest, my sanity. That's been the hardest part in all this. I grew up a very specific way, right? I grew up a very specific way. I grew up, in a West Indian neighborhood with very specific morals and a big family with very specific morals, surrounded by gangs with very specific morals. And now I have to allow people who I would normally choke out or punch the fuck out to talk to me or treat me in a way that I would never have accepted it before. 
for the greater good. And I have to let go of my ego. That's the biggest thing I have to sacrifice, my ego. And I've gotten so comfortable with sacrificing my ego that I don't want it back. When did that point come? Every day it comes. <laughs> it comes again. It comes again every single day. Every single time one of these companies fucks with me, every single time, like, I have to be good. Because if, I, if I'm not, I'll close the door behind me. So there's never going to be another little Dario. There's never going to be a little Kirby. Because I would have shown us, showed everyone that the rumors were true. That we can't be worked with. That we can't be business oriented. Mm. In, in proving that we are viable, I had to prove that they were uncivilized. Mm. But there was also like, because there was a moment when when we had fallen out, like when we actually didn't speak for like a year. Creative differences? And some change. Um, it was like four days before a fashion show and you flipped out and said something and I was just like, fuck this. You know, four days before a fashion show is a hard time to talk to a designer. <laughs> <laughs> and you've said fuck this to me multiple times. No, no, yeah. no, 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 no. And, no, and I no, remember no. which show you're talking about. I don't remember what the show looked like. But I know that wasn't a good show. No, because, it wasn't. Because every time <laughs> I don't work with my core group, if, 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 like, if you, Eric, Brittany... Um, are not involved, it's going to be a bad show. But, yeah, like, I don't know what that was, but I know we ain't fighting again because I'm not about to have another bad show. <laughs> but, what was that, but what was that change between that moment we had and then when we, Mea Culpa, reunited, like, a, a year later? Like, there was a, there was a shift. Remember, no, like, mean, you, you, like, went to Momentum? Yeah. Like, there was some internal work that yeah. you did because it was also right after that that, like, the brand popped off like the messaging yeah. was really synergized mm -hmm. like as a creative i know that that started inside of you yeah and there was some shit that you shifted or had to release or had to embrace i'm gonna tell you something that moment i'm gonna tell you i'm gonna tell you something that i've never said before and what it was in all honestly is that i started to discern the difference between the person i was and the person i was pretending to be and the person I was pretending to be was always in competition. Mm. The person I was pretending to be was constantly compar comparing themselves to whoever the fuck the media put me in the same article with. So, or whoever the buyers were buying at Barney's or whatever the fuck it, it was. So if I wasn't... If we, even if we were creating something super special that I realize now is super special, it wasn't good enough because it wasn't Virgil. It wasn't Jerry. It wasn't Kanye. It wasn't, it wasn't Heron. It wasn't, it wasn't Sam. It wasn't, it wasn't public school. It wasn't um, Tim Coppins. It wasn't John Elliott. It wasn't Enoir. It wasn't any of those guys, right? You know, I would, I would, I would go, I would do what was instinctively right for me what was instinctively right for me was always talking about race, talking about politics, talking about things that I actually cared about. But then as soon as that work went out into the world, I was like, fuck, I'm never going to get a Nike deal. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. I was so, so I'll be mad at all y'all. 
So I'd be I'd be like really mad at all y'all. Like damn, like none of y'all gonna give me the ideas so that I can so I can make the money they making over there. Yeah, none of y'all gonna like none of y'all gonna talk me off this ledge. Like why y'all keep letting me follow my instincts? And the person that I was trying to be was constantly in a fist fight with the person that I was. The person that I was, the person that I am, brought the NAACP to Hofstra. Started a brand called Mary's Jungle when I was 16 years old. Has always been conscious of race. Has written poems about the Iraqi war. Has always been at the forefront of politics in my local community. Has always been a community organizer. The person that I was trying to be was in Paris at Hotel Cost, at the parties, being invited, going to these celebrities' homes, driving the cars. And I did not realize that the two things, at least the material part of that world, can exist with who I already was. And I didn't see a world in where I can like have nice things and have a nice company and, and build a global brand and be and be myself. So I was constantly in contention with you, with everyone that was trying trying to force me to follow my instincts. You had it right the first time. You said that to me once. Brittany said it to me every day. Um, Eric said it to me every day that I was like being a fake. And in 2017, I did that momentum program, and it was the first time that I had cried since I was 10 years old. Mm. And um, I was, <laughs> you know, they do this, they do this. I'm not, I'm not supposed to say this shit, but I'll, I'll say it, you know, and hopefully, hopefully it makes people want to do more self-help um, and the people at Momentum won't get upset at me. But they do this, they do this, um, this exercise with you and they just scream in your face, asking you, what do you want? That is tough. And when you get to the root of what you, like the first thing you say is usually what you think other people want to hear. So the first 60 times, I'm saying what I think my partner wants to hear. Which was? I want to change the world. <laughs> I don't want to do that. And then the end is like, yo, I want to be liked. Mm. I, want to be, I want to be loved. And then you got to deal with that thing, right? You got to deal with, you got to deal with, why? Why do you give a fuck so much? Why do you care so much about what people think about you? Right? Like when you deal when 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 you when you're forced to when you're forced to deal with that, you're like, damn, that's actually not important. And for me, I had to deal with it. I had to deal with why do I care so much? Mm-hmm. Well, because I never felt love. I never wanted to have the the deep dark conversations with my father. I never wanted to find out the answers about my mother's death. I never wanted to confront people who have hurt me in the past. I never wanted to like deal with issues of when I felt excluded or bullied. I always put up a front. And when I dealt with that shit head on, I was like, well, if I shed the ego, I'll be okay. And I shed the ego. You know what the, you know what the first part of shedding the ego for Pierre Moss was? Skipping a season. Cause part, cause it was the game, right? The game was you gotta, you gotta keep showing. Remember that was the game, 2015, 2016. That was the game. You gotta keep showing. So, how many times did I show? You personally know how many times did I show? I had zero money in my pocket. 
every time. <laughs> every fucking time, G. Every single time. I showed. Every single fucking time that I showed, I had zero money in my pocket. So I'm showing all these fucking shows. I had zero money in my pocket. Why? Because maybe this is the season that Vogue Runway is going to cover me. Mm. Nicole Phelps is going to come to the show this time. Kathy Horner is going to come to the show this time. Maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the one that's going to like be the one. Mm. Can't skip a season because if I skip a season, then I'm going to have to start all over again. Ego. Yeah. Why the fuck do I want to be in Vogue so bad? Why? Why? The minute I get... The minute... Or, or the best one, the best one was... If you skip a, you need you need six seasons. Barney's needs to see you for six seasons before you get in. So I'm like, yo, I can't because then I'm a, if I skip a season, even though I don't got the money, now I gotta start over again. I gotta do another six seasons before Barney's come back. So of course, I'm selling all my sneakers on eBay, selling my headphones, my computers, my things that I need to draw my collection. Literally, my Wacom tablet. Sold that shit on eBay so I could make a fucking sample so I could do a runway show at Spring Studios. I'm at Milk Studios. For what? Because I thought that they needed to like me. And I needed to be liked. I didn't want to be excluded to this from this thing the way I felt excluded from every other part of my, of my life. Right? I felt super excluded from everything. I felt excluded from the club. Why are all these motherfuckers hanging out at night? They're going to Santos. They're going to up and down. They're going to... They, they, they're out in Paris and I've you know, I, why am I not included? And the minute I shed that, I was so comfortable with who I was, man. And it was also like divine timing. I turned 30 at the same time. And it was like, wake up the morning of 30. You're like, damn, all of these things that like I thought I needed to do before I turned 30 didn't happen. And they won't happen before I turned 30 because... Uh, I I just turned 30. <laughs> and now it's like, oh shit, I'm on my own pace. And I don't give a fuck no more. So not giving a fuck no more changed everything for me, bro. Like, it was like, it was like, damn, I could really be who I was. And I like, I'm not a cool kid. I don't fit into the cool club. Yeah. Don't fit in. I don't fit in. I'm not a product of Kanye West. I'm not from that circle. The celebrity culture that was happening around 2013, 2016. I missed that wave. Nobody was fucking with my clothes, whether it was not good or not branded or not, or I wasn't popular enough. I'll never know. And it won't drive me crazy anymore, but it was driving me crazy then. And it was like this dichotomy of who I was internally, who I was and who I was pretending to be um, was winning for a while. Mm-hmm. The whole point of why I started the brand in the first place was because I couldn't find shit to wear because I had long arms. And it was supposed to be an evolution of the streetwear brands and the, and the t-shirt political brands that I had in the past. And the first two years of the brand, I, didn't, I hid my face because I didn't want anybody to know I was black. So, mm. and I was like, oh yeah, I'm Marjola. You know, I'm hiding my face. No, motherfucker, I was ashamed of my face. So, like, to get over all those things, and there's another thing to grow up in public, too, right? 26 is, you're dumb. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, like you know, I'm working with, I work with a lot of artists and designers and, and people now. Whether I'm working with them in a professional capacity or mentoring them or whatever the case is that are 24, 25, I'm like, you're a dick. You're dumb. You're selfish. You're not, you don't really get it. 
you're not you're not there yet. So I started this brand. I was 25 going on 26. I was 20, sorry, I was 26 going on 27. I just turned 33. First four years of it, it was me um, figuring out who the fuck I was. So I'm growing up in public. And at the same time, I'm still talented and trying to like give you decent work. But the work is also struggling because it's, you know, people look at the collection now and they be like, did you always know how to do that or did you go back to school? No, I've always known how to do that. I actually built Marquesa and Kayanger and, 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 and all these other fucking brands that I worked with. I always knew how to do this. I just thought this is who I needed to be. I, need, I thought that my hang tag in the clothes, look at the jacket you're wearing. I thought it needed to be black with small white letters. Yeah. But actually, the brand is named after my mom. And her favorite color was saffron yellow. So the, the tag was the first thing that had to go. I need to do this for why I did it. To honor my mother. To, to honor my long arms. To, to honor the kids that, that come from the neighborhood. To like speak to their experiences. To honor black history. To be political. To ruffle a little motherfucking feathers sometimes. Why not? And I stopped giving a fuck. I remember the day I stopped giving a fuck. I got an invite to the Met Gala. I stopped giving a fuck. Altogether, I stopped giving a fuck. I don't give a fuck anymore. I don't care. I literally don't care. I care about, I care about people, yo. Like I can literally talk to people now. Because I wouldn't, I didn't want to be seen. Mm. Yo, I used to be so embarrassed of myself that I would go to the grocery store. And I would walk with all of my bags to my car instead of pushing the cart to my car to put the shit in the trunk because I remember how embarrassed I used to be that my mom used to push a cart. It's deep, though. <laughs> That's beautiful. It's deep, though. You know what I'm saying? And it's so what was that process like, the, the undoing of caring? Yo, you got to fall in love with yourself. You got to fall in love with yourself and... You got to know more than anything else that you're worthy. And that was like my biggest breakthrough in Momentum was like, and Momentum wasn't the only thing, right? Momentum, I give Momentum a lot of credit because it was, it was my first foray into self-help. Yeah. But one of the things that I learned about myself was that all my experiences and all, all the childhood trauma and everything that I dealt with conditioned me to believe that I wasn't worthy of anything. I always had imposter syndrome. Like not only in my homes or in the press or pictures that were being taken of me or anything like that. But I had imposter syndrome in the sense of like, I didn't want to, I didn't feel worthy of being alive, bro. Like I didn't, I didn't feel, I didn't feel worthy of anyone's company. You know what I'm saying? That's some shit that nobody really admits, but I, I did not feel worthy of anybody's company. I didn't feel worthy of like friendship. Mm. I always thought what was wrong with me. And at some point you get to the point where you're like, it's okay for me to have a nice dinner. It's okay for me to go to movies by myself. I deserve this $10 thing. No bullshit. This is what used to, shit used to happen to me all the time. This is how I knew I had this worthiness issue. I'll buy anybody anything. I used to buy anybody, any girl I was dating, buy them anything. Bags, vacations, whatever the fuck. Never do it for myself. I'd sit, I'd have something in my Amazon cart for weeks. $10, $20. 
reconsidering it constantly. And you don't ask yourself, you don't look at the card, like, am I worthy, am I worthy, am I worthy, am I worthy? But it's so embedded and it's so deep in you that you don't feel worthy, that you know in your heart that you're not worthy, that you're constantly questioning whether or not you should be happy. Whether or not this thing is going to make, this is what it really comes down to. Is this thing going to make me happy? Yes. Should I be happy? You know what I mean? And it's a combination. Like when you grew up where we grew up, you get survivor's guilt. I used to get survivor's guilt coming home from school. Because I went to school in Manhattan. So some of my friends, because I went to high school fashion issues, right? Some of my, like one of my best friends bought me a Versace shirt. And it took me until, and she bought it to me, she bought it for me in senior year in high school. It took me in my second year in college to wear it. So I was being exposed to a different world. It's a public school, but like you're being exposed to, because it's because it's a vocational fashion school and it's the only one of its kind. You have people from different walks of life, people who are middle class, people upper middle class, people who are rich. Angela Simmons went to my school. That was my, that was my best friend in high school for a long time and in college. You know, you, you're being, you're being like introduced to a different world. Then you get off, you take the two train, you take the one train to 14th Street, you transfer to the two, you take the two to five to uh, motherfucking Church Avenue, you get off Church Avenue, and then you got to decide. You got to pick your fate. That You got to pick your fate, right? When you get off the train, you got to decide, I bet, am I going to walk through the crib blocks? Am I going to walk through Church Ave? I'm going to walk through the blood blocks. To get home, well, you know, to get to the neutral block, so I cut through, and you know that other people are dealing with this same dilemma, right? Like, who do you want to fuck with you? Are you gonna get stopped in Frisco Church? Are you gonna risk the crip niggas being outside, knowing that you live on a blood block? Are you gonna walk through the blood block, knowing that these niggas are gonna try to initiate you? What are you gonna What are you gonna do? And every day you're dealing with this fucking constant, this constant like dilemma of how you're gonna survive, but you know that you have a different world that you go into in Manhattan every day that you're spending most of the day at. You're going, you're going to school with a bunch of kids who are like doing a little bit better. You have an internship at Younger, So you can't bring home the nice things. I'm leaving Versace shirts in my locker for a year. Yo, I used to work at a sneaker store called Ragamuffin. And I got discounts, so I used to pay what they paid. I paid like, 5% or 5 or 10% over what they paid. So I had everything. I had the biggest sneaker collection, so much so that my sneaker collection was in my yearbook. I used to get paid, keep some cash, and then take some cash and buy some sneakers. I would go to school, leave the shoes in the locker or at Kayunger, and then, on, and then swap them out when I get to the school and only wear like Uptowns or like Cortez or some shit to the train station because I didn't want the other kids to see that I was rocking shit. And rightfully so, because the minute I started went, like started flexing and wearing like the shit that I had, they broke into my crib and stole everything out of my house. And it became a whole, whole fucking thing. You know what I'm saying? So like I was caught in the middle of a lot of shit that I didn't want to be caught in the middle of growing, growing up where I grew up. So it's like it's huge, like to get to this place here, man, and to get to this place where it's like everything's seemingly okay, you constantly have like this tension and this anxiety is aging you. It's constantly making you feel unsettled. And so what do you do, what do you do to kind of soothe that? Like you mentioned earlier, like you began like a spiritual practice. Like, is that a part of it? I started the self-help stuff um, in 2017. When you say the self-help stuff, we know like momentum, but like momentum, what else? Momentum, therapy, you know, seeing a psychiatrist, 
Psychiatrist or a therapist? What do you call it? Therapist. It depends on if you're getting medication. No, nah, I wasn't getting medication. I was seeing <laughs> a therapist. I, I don't take medication of no kind anyway. Um, except Tylenol because my foot is fucked up. And some and headaches, headaches. And Speaking of which, do you remember the first show I did with you? Uh, at Milk. I broke my head. And you fucking didn't show story. up because you ran into the glass door. Yeah. And busted your head open and had to go to the hospital. Even looking back at that situation, <laughs> I remember why I was so nervous. I knew this was going to be my third show. I knew a lot of celebrities were coming. I was wearing that They Have Name shirt. I was like, fuck. Ah, that's right. I was like, this thing is, I was like, I know that this shirt is going about, is about, is about to make me infamous. That was, like the, that was actually really the first time that you had made a political statement. And I was struggling with that shit because it was like, that shirt is who I am. That shirt is who I am. But who I wanted to be. Who, was I, who I wanted to be plays, fits in. Who I am does never, never fit in. And I was struggling and I was so nervous that day. I remember, I remember like, I did the screen print of that shirt a few minutes before um, 7 p.m. The show started, I think, at 7, uh, 7.30 or some shit like that. I got so nervous, man. I walked into a glass door and I bust my fucking head. My sister gave me stitches backstage. You remember that? Let's 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 come back to that because that's really interesting. Yeah. That's like that's a that was a really pivotal moment. But but back to like the self help. So you you did momentum. You started therapy. What other tools did you use? I think I think speaking more openly and like confronting people mm-hmm. that I may have felt hurt me in the past that I was never willing to confront. In the, I I haven't gotten to the point where I can confront family yet. But I was confronting friends a lot more. Even with me and you, like I was able to, a confrontation for you, for me, is me saying I'm wrong. That's a confrontation. Yeah. And I wasn't willing to have any of those confrontations. So I started having more of those confrontations with you, with Eric. Eric didn't speak to me for like two years. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I love both of y'all. I wasn't willing to say I was wrong and I was willing to talk because that's not how I grew up. Because usually a conflict where I grew up has to result in a fist fight. You know what I'm saying? I, and I didn't know how to like not do that. So like, you know, you guys bared with me, but like I wasn't sophisticated enough and I never had parents that talked to me about problems. They hid everything from their kids. That's what they do. That's what strong West Indian people do. They hide shit from their kids. So you never know you're poor. You never know your parents are going through a divorce. You know what a West Indian divorce is? Parents sleep in separate rooms <laughs> until all the kids leave the house. That's what it is. I still don't know how my mom died. I'm a kid. 33, but I'm a kid. And that's what kids are not supposed to know shit. It's just the way things are. It's just the way things are. So, like, for me to get to the point where I'm, like, confronting, I remember the first time I told another man I love you. It was after momentum. <laughs> I know it would definitely was not when we first met. Yeah, <laughs> the first per, the first guy I said, "Yo, I love you, bro," was Salehi, head designer of menswear at Versace, and he was weirded out. He was super weirded out. He was like, "Nah," he's like, "Like nah," like, you know. And I remember what that that feeling is like. And now I tell all my boys I love them on a daily day to day basis. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? I get off the phone with everybody like I love you, but I remember how hard that was. To even overcome that shit. That was hard as fuck. You know, some people, meditation works for them and yoga and all this. Stuff. Personally, I don't fuck with yoga. Uh, meditation, I, my mind can't keep quiet that long. If I, if, I, if I sit that quiet for a little bit, 
I've had a whole des- I've had a whole collection designed in my head in those 15 minutes where I gotta meditate. You know, I'm I'm figuring it out and I have no fucking answers as to what it is that has worked. Mm. But I know that like it's been a call it's been a culmination of a bunch of different things and um and seeing a lot more representation as far as like black males who are being more emotionally vulnerable mm-hmm. in the media, in my personal life. Yeah. I needed to see Fences. Fences was the first time I cried in a movie ever. Cause cause my whole my rule about crying and like showing emotion and shit like that was I, you know, my, when my mom died, they didn't tell me, right? So I didn't cry when my mom died. I didn't get a chance to. So I was like, well, if I could live through that and not cry, then, I, then nothing else should make me cry. I need to man the fuck up. So, so going back to this, um, that moment with the, the They Have Names shirt, mm-hmm. that was really like your first real encounter with the media. In a real way, mm-hmm. and at times an antagonistic way. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like the media really became a thing mm-hmm. in in the way in which you moved. Mm-hmm. How do you use and or think about the media or the role of the media in <laughs> your career, in your trajectory? It's so crazy. You're saying that is making me think, do I? You're my brother, and I would never lie to you. I don't give a fuck. I don't know what they think. I don't know what triggers them. I don't know what they're going to write about. I don't care what they're going to video. I don't give a fuck. I've got four, five magazine covers this year. I don't know how. I literally don't give a fuck. And I don't know why that's so attractive to them. That was when I started to realize, at that point, I think to answer your question, at that point, I started to realize that the real me was a viable person and it needed to live, it needed to live instead of the person I was pretending to be. You know, it's like these two people, right? Like, it's like, I find, is this, this the person that I thought I need to be and I need to look like this and act like this and send clothes to this person and act like this person and speak a certain way and do only these types of interviews and, and be and only affiliated with these types of parties and only go to these types of things and stay at these types of hotels and you know, spend money that I didn't have and all these different things. It was that person versus the person that I innately, that I innately was. Mm-hmm. That shirt could have been Montegas Fury or, Pierre, uh, or Mary's Jungle, one of my first two brands. That's what I did. I did shirts around the Iraqi war. I did shirts around colorism. I did shirts around 9-11 and the, and, and the documentary Loose Change. I wrote poems. I did that. That was who I innately was. And I didn't try to be that person. I didn't go to high school and was like, I'm going to get girls by writing poems about the Iraqi war. That's just who the fuck I was. And I couldn't fight who I was. And who I was was like still showing up in parts of Pierre Moss. And it was like, yo, at some point, you're going to have to marry these two. Or you're going to have to commit to one of them. It was like, you commit to one of them. You commit to the person who's trying to get into Vogue and trying to be famous and try to hang with the rap stars and the celebrities and et cetera, et cetera. Where you commit to who you who you are, where it's effortless. And at some point, I just chose to just commit to who I was, and it being effortless, but keeping Pierre Moss and what I built alive. And somehow, miraculously, they they kind of like form this perfect concoction of consciousness meets politics 
meets Met Gala, meets Couture Week, meets New York Fashion Week, meets Soul DXB in Dubai, meets Art Basel, meets Complex Con. What you're really saying is you just stopped giving a fuck about the media, period. Altogether. You know, at that time, I changed my publicist, right? Yeah, my publicist, I that. My publicist is still one of my best friends. My publicist then was still one of my best friends. But I couldn't work with her because I couldn't, like, the pressure was too much. You know, I love her to death. I will take a bullet for her. She's one of my best friends in the world. And I, and I love her to death. But it was just too much. Like, who the fuck will... I was even trying to pretend to be somebody for her because she wasn't black. Yeah. And, and now, with Nate, we don't talk. Believe it or not, me and Nate don't talk. Nate watches what I do on Instagram, what innately comes, what I tweet, and then a story comes of it. Nate does not try to change me, does not try to direct me or anything. He does try to talk me off a ledge, which he did today, because I was about to explode on somebody. He talked me off a ledge. Um, and I have him for that. But I trust him as a black man going through similar experiences not to embarrass me and not to embarrass himself and not to embarrass his family or the family that we've built together. And he knows he's had flaws in the past and he wasn't always his authentic self and I wasn't, my, and I wasn't always my authentic self. And now we can commiserate on that. Yeah. And we can say, well, we'll never do that again. What will always be Kirby from East Flatbush and Nate from Norfolk, Virginia. You grew up in a fucked up place. I grew up in a fucked up place on its face. We saw a lot of love there. Our job is to amplify the love and show the similarities with the love that, is, that are in these pockets to everybody so that everybody can feel good about where they're coming from and want to amplify those things. Instead of like trying to perpetuate those stereotypes, try to step away from it. Some of these motherfucking designers, bro, like artists, musicians, actors, want to get far away. I just did my biggest show ever. We just did our biggest show ever. <laughs> where? Seven blocks away from where I grew up. We could have easily gone there. Spring Studios. Mm -hmm. We could have did it in Tribeca. We could have did it at Lincoln Center. We had every option. And we looked at places. No. Listen, we had every option. Do you understand? I had every option for free. We had some venues willing to pay me up to half a million dollars to show there. Because we that niggas right now. Right? Right? Like, who, who knows? Who knows how long that's going to last? But right now. Ride it. Right now. <laughs> We could have did, at that, at that point in September in 2019, we could have did any fucking thing we wanted in the world. And what we do? Seven blocks away from where I grew up. It don't matter. The money don't matter. What, can you, what will you do that's going to make you help you sleep at night? And that's all that matters to me at this point. It's like, can I sleep at night? Am I going to be fine with it? Is, is my family going to be good? Am I going to be embarrassed? Because I would have been embarrassing myself. To take all of that goodwill we built up from Weeksville Heritage Center and then what we was going to do? Take it to Paris? I mean, stupid as hell. Had every option in the world. 
every option, bro. Like in the past like year, I turned down maybe seven, eight million dollars in bullshit stuff that you probably wouldn't even think about. Because I just didn't want to risk the chance of it conflating or like diluting the message that we're trying to build, the, the conversations that we had. Like this is about hope. This is about letting motherfuckers know like you can get the therapy. You can get out of there. You can come back. You can buy a place there. You can do this. You can fix your credit by the block. Because cause this was enough. This was way bigger than all the stuff that we're seeing, we're seeing right now, all the stuff we're experiencing, King's Theater, all the stuff that we experienced, way bigger than anything that I ever imagined. Yeah. So anything else is just greedy. So what you do is when you get to this point right here, you show other people that it's possible and then leave the door open behind you. Go, skate off on your merry way. Take a couple million dollars. Go fuck off. Let somebody else come through. I haven't seen anybody else come through yet. When they come through, I'm out. Why do you have to be out? Why can't you both coexist? You know what I mean? Like, you've, there's, there's room. It's not like I'm out because I feel like they're going to take up so much space where I got to be out. Yeah. But I'm ready. I'm ready to, like, explore a different challenge. Maybe our message was to communicate in every industry the same thing as possible. Mm. Why not? Why not mean you take what we what we built and what we've constructed and like the messages that we've built of hope and 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 um and promise and and um and viability to Hollywood, to the film industry? Why don't we take it to the music industry? Why don't we take it to science? Mm-hmm. Why don't we take it to ballet, theater? Why not? Why do we have to? Why? Why? Why can't we just leave a? Why can't we just leave a card? Why do we have to? Is it an ego death? Are you are you willing to die ego death? I don't want to die ego death. Cause what's gonna happen? You stay here too long. Why do we need to? What? What are we trying to prove? We have something special. We found our people. We know our people that we can create anything with. Why not? So if it's 10 years from now, or it's 10 months from now, let's give ourselves some options and some room. Do we need to, do we need to last in this industry 30 years to prove one? No. Will this industry be around for 10 more years? I mean, I've spoken to Anna twice during this thing, and the institution, the institutions, actually I've spoken to three times. I'm going to speak to her again tomorrow. Um, in the institutions that we've, that we built that are shrouded in mystery and shrouded mm-hmm. in elitism and all these mm-hmm. things are not going to be viable yeah. in, a, in, a, in a society where people don't take these things as seriously as they used to. What's this shit been making you think about? Think of the top thing, 10 things that you've been thinking about during this global pandemic when you've been locking, locked in your crib. Yeah. Are any of those things fashion? Are you thinking about what stylist styles who and what publication is going to run who? And who's going to run this editorial? And who's going to do this? And who's going to... don't give a fuck. Fuck this shit. Fuck this shit. This is not what it's about. This is not what life is about. Life is not about making other people feel bad. That's essentially what most of fashion does. Yeah. Is make other people feel bad. Yeah. Yeah. So do you want to die ego death? That's the question. I don't want to fucking die no ego death, my G. Like, this is all I want... I want to take the magic that we've built and bring it everywhere. Pierre Moss doesn't have to die when fashion does. 
Pierre Moss is not even a brand anymore. It's a fucking idea. It's an idea. It's a it's it's literally an idea of recontextualizing what black beauty is in the framework of mainstream media and art. And it's fucking trickled across every fucking thing that we know, whether we liked it or not, whether we've argued about it or not. Every episodic series or every fucking appearance of this or every time someone said something crazy, we're part of it, we're part of history. Do we want to kill it? Does it die now? Because fashion has to move to a direct-to-consumer business or because Imran was a dickhead at business of fashion or because this person didn't run your shit or whatever. Does it have to dissolve in that? you only as big as you let yourself be small. And I hate the fucking status quo. I hate it. So I'll never let it live. Anything that I'll do, I'll never let it live. And they're always going to try to fucking cock block me. But I'm always going to have an army that's smarter, stronger. Whether it be real estate. Let's say me and you go get our real estate licenses. You fucking shit up. It'd be amazing. We'll fuck shit up. It'd be amazing. We'll fuck shit up, bro. Like, it will fuck shit up. Because our... Our goal, our goals are aligned yeah. around making people feel welcome. We fuck shit up, so fuck it. We don't got we don't we don't gotta spend spend our time spinning our wheels wondering what the fashion industry is gonna look like. That's so small. It's over. Whatever. We didn't make it. Yeah. It's not our, it's not our responsibility to figure out how to unbreak it. It's only our responsibility to figure out how our people are always going to be viable. Um, Elaine Locke, like the first black Rhodes Scholar, um, helped formulate the Harlem Renaissance. But he has this phrase where he says, although we were born into this world, we didn't inherit it. We're here, but it's not ours. Not ours. I want to like acknowledge you for really putting yourself and your neck on the line over and over again um, and consistently. And it's usually at the expense of black people hating me. That's a, <laughs> I'm trying to end the interview, Kirby. It's, 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 it's usually, it's like, the more I do for black people, yeah. the more white people love me, and the more black people question my motives. Yo, my biggest enemies are usually other black designers. It's crazy. I've never had like arguments with anybody the way I have with other black designers. And it's usually the ones that I like have hired or given money to or like help their businesses. It's like you're help you're helping them. You're helping people, and those people are grateful but then it's like you know ones that you they feel like you didn't help them enough like yo why are you arguing with me argue with your senator i don't have to do anything yeah. it's usually at the at the expense of the love of black people who think that they can do what i can do better than me and they have no fucking idea how hard it is mentally to stay alive but also like financially how to stay diplomatic throughout all this shit man it's like it's it, it's it's hard for me not to just like go on Twitter and just flame these motherfuckers. It's hard because I grew up 
growing up the way that I grew up and then having to deal with like this contention for absolutely no reason besides the fact that your ego thinks that you can do what I do better than you when you've never been here or I never had any empathy for anyone who's, who's been here is really hard. I'm dealing with that with, um, with you know who. Mm-hmm. I wonder, I just wonder if she was in a position where she was given like millions of dollars millions of dollars in contracts and the press and all of the other stuff that like are afforded to a me or Jerry or a, or a Virgil or something like that. Would she actually help other people? Would she continue to enrich herself? You know the answer. You to know that. the answer to this. You know the answer to that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So you got really got to ask yourself like, yo, if you were put in the position where somebody handed you, let's say they all better than me at design, arguably so. I hate most of the stuff I put out. Even though a lot of people think I'm great, I'm my worst critic. I usually hate every fucking thing I put out because a minute after I put out, could have been better. So I'm usually my worst critic when it comes to that kind of shit anyway. So if you put out what you consider, you consider my work to be mediocre work. You put out mediocre work, right? And somebody gave you a million dollars to do it. Two million dollars, five million dollars, 10 million dollars, 20 million dollars, 30 million dollars. Would your first instinct be to go help others with it, or would you help yourself? My instinct has always been to help others, and it's always been to no credit, but like now I have to like consider it. Now I have to consider helping people, because I'm like, damn, well, I want to be their enemy. Everybody you help is going to potentially be your enemy. Mm. Uh, you saw Queen and Slim? No, not yet. People who've never seen Queen and Slim will notice, and Lena talks about the ending of Queen and Slim, and one of the things that she says is, why X and X, Y, Z happened, she was like, it's always been black people that did me in. So I can't, mm. I, I can't pretend, like, first, I didn't make this movie for white people. I made it for us. So I'm going to make the us, I'm going to tell the truth. And the truth is, every time I've had my heart broken, it's been by other people that look like me. Bro. Bro. And that's what I constantly Bro. fucking deal with. Because I, like every time I put my heart on the line, or every time I've like decided that I'm going to like, Jump off a fuck, jump out a fucking window, go argue with these people, go to war with these motherfuckers. Who's always the first ones? Somebody who thinks they can do my job, who looks like me. But you've never been here. If you want to switch places, bro, come through. Let's switch bank accounts. Let's switch places. Let's do it. If you want to just do it for 24 hours, just do it. Because without the hood experience, without the 14 years of fashion experience where I was just an intern getting paid, but slightly getting paid and all these other things without me seeing everything, how everybody else was being treated, without seeing all this, I don't fucking know. So if you think you can just do it from you just being off the street, yeah. try. Try. I'll give, you, I'll give you a chance. I'll give you a chance. Piermont's don't belong to me. It's my mother's name, but it doesn't belong to me. It's 20 people there. It belongs to them. It belongs to all of us. It belongs to you. Yeah. It's, it's our shit. So if you think you could do it better than all of us, our combined experiences, try it. And let me see what you do. I'll, I won't judge you, though. That's, my, that's the difference between me, 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 me and them. Is that I'm going to give you the benefit of you gave it your best shot and your intent was the best and that you didn't mean any harm. And I won't judge you for it. But try it. You bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Gabriel, could you please let me okay. gas you up a little bit? Yeah, yeah go ahead. Um, 
where was it? But no, but really, like uh, we were talking earlier, all of this comes at a price. All of this comes at a price. Um, that is not monetary. And, you know, for me, this is, and, I, and I've told you this before, but our relationship has been one of the most dynamic relationships I've ever had in my entire life. And that's the trailer for this. And so I, yeah, so I just want to, one, just thank you for showing up, for having the courage of your convictions in spite of what may happen, the money that you may lose, the money you have lost, the friendships that you have lost, the relationships you couldn't have, the relationships that had to dissolve, the love that you couldn't show up for or wouldn't show up for you. Like, that's a part of all of that. And so I know that it's not easy. I can't say what it is because only you know all of those conversations. But I just want to say thank you. It has been so beautiful to also see you grow and develop. I've been in the conference room when you're throwing the papers. I've seen it. I've been there. I've quit four days before a show. And to be on the other side of that is nothing short of miraculous and is proof of concept and proof positive that it doesn't fucking matter where you are or how you start or what you've done or what you've thought about doing. Like you can still change yep. and you can still grow and that it's a process. We all still young. We got a lot of changing and growing to do, bro. And you... Trying to retire. <laughs> I'm trying to retire from this. <laughs> not 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 from life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? But no, but I just I just want to like acknowledge you for that because um you know people people see Kirby, right? They see Kirby and I've been there and you know Eric has been there. Many of us have been there to see like those those moments where you just didn't know. Really, like like I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to lose my brand. I'm gonna have to change the name. And shit comes through. Yeah, I remember sending you logos for a new brand. So you know <laughs> what I mean. So it's 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 been brilliant. So thank you, thank you. Um, you are one of our stars. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. It means a lot to me. I'm happy to do this, even though it wasn't sanctioned by Nate. <laughs> <laughs> also, where where can people connect with you? Like online? Like don't connect me. Connect with Jesus. <laughs> Hey there. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode with my colleague, collaborator, and misfit in crime, Kirby Jean Raymond. One quote that really stuck out to me is, you're only as big as you allow yourself to feel small. Wow. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend you think would also enjoy this conversation. Be sure to subscribe wherever you receive your podcast, rate and review us on iTunes, which helps a lot, and head over to Black Imagination Podcast on Instagram and say hi. And be sure to click on the support link in the show notes so we can keep the lights on. One of the most amazing parts of these challenging times is the space to finally dream a little bigger. There's a better world on the other side. Stay curious, keep dreaming.